you like high production values and official sounding radio voices? If not, you're in the right place. Welcome to Fangraphs Audio, I'm Carson Sestouli. Today on the pod we bring in Matt Clausen, Brian Smith, and Dave Cameron for another of our vintage roundtable discussions. Today on the pod we look at the debut of Starlin Castro, and not just that, but also what Castro's promotion means for the Cubs' prospects in the NL Central. We move on and look at the recent demotion of former prospect Alex Gordon. We ask what might have been and try and speculate on what might still be. We look at the early success of the Tampa Bay Rays and try and separate fluke from actual skill. And finally, we cast a gaze at a couple new stats here at Fangraphs, shutdowns and meltdowns. We look at the genesis of the stat and also how we might use it relative to saves, holds, or blown saves. This sort of thing and so much more on this edition of Fangraphs Audio. Indeed, it is not a lie. This is another edition of Fangraphs Audio. Uh, and here we are situated uh, situated uh, around the, the incredibly round table, as always. Uh, I have one guy joining me. Um, this is this is a guy who's joining us from a carol. Matt Clausen, are you joining, a, you're joining us from something called a carol? Yes, I'm situated... In a study carol. You're situated in a study carol. It, you mean like like yeah. you used to be in my uh, elementary school? Is that right? Yes. Okay, a Canadian study carol. I, that's not some sort of uh, Mennonite uh, holy uh, place of holy worship, is it? No, it's a it's a shrine to Thurston. Okay. okay. All right. Uh, so so Matt Loss is one of the one of the guys joining us. Another guy joining us today is uh, is one of our resident prospect mavens. I think he's joining us from the city of broad shoulders in some sort of uh, echoey echo chamber from there. Is that right, Brian Smith? I'm in Chicago on my couch. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. Uh, Brian, you said you could only join the pod today. Today's Friday, if uh, as long as the market didn't do a yesterday. And I was curious as to uh, I don't know what your ethnic background is. If that was a term for uh, for uh, a bowel movement where, wherever you're from. Well, yeah. Yesterday was kind of like that. Yeah, I, and apparently I didn't I didn't know that till today. So I guess the market uh, did uh, did it uh, well. I guess it didn't do that well yesterday. That's news to me. Anyway, uh, so thank you very much for joining us, Brian Smith. Additionally, uh, will be our full time employee. Uh, apparently, he's uh, graduating from something, although I don't know what. Dave Cameron, you're you're graduating. Uh, yeah, I, I think this thing is called college. Oh right. Oh yeah. So it's not like a uh, you're not graduating into manhood or anything like that. Yeah, hopefully I did that a while ago. <laughs> yeah, hopefully too. Uh, uh, yeah, well, I think he's becoming some sort of cylinder. He's becoming a cylinder. Graduate, mm. I'll forget it. Oh my god. Uh, fine. Um, listen, let's talk about some baseball. It seems like the best thing to do right now. Uh, where should we start? Well, today the newsworthy item, uh, it's just come across the wires, is that the Chicago Cubs of the uh, NL Central have just recalled a guy, uh, uh, a young shortstop who made quite a few waves, especially, I believe, during the Arizona Fall League. I uh, I don't mind being corrected about that. But his name is Starlin Castro. Brian Smith, you wrote the article about it today. You are a prospect maven, and you're also sort of ground central uh, in terms of the fact that you are on a couch in Chicago. Could you kind of, uh, you know, I guess, uh, frame, this, uh, frame this conversation for us and tell us what's going on with Starlin Castro and what it might mean for the Cubs? Yeah, Castro uh, was called up today to replace Chad Tracy on the roster, and it sounds like he is going to play shortstop every day for the Cubs, and Ryan Terrio will move over to second base. Um, Castro turned 20 about a month ago, so it's 
an aggressive move that everyone wants to compare to Corey Patterson, even though it's a completely different situation. But it is certainly um, the Cubs sort of continuing these strange all-in moves in their quest to catch the Cardinals. Yeah, now you say you compare it to the Corey Patterson situation. Can you remind us exactly what happened there and uh, why this is different? Yeah, Corey Patterson was the top prospect in baseball, and everyone thought he was going to be the next great center fielder in the National League, and it just didn't turn out that way. He he never developed patience. His swing was always too long, and um, Castro's not the same player. He makes contact at a, at a ratio that Corey Patterson probably didn't even in high school. So I, I think that he's better geared to succeed in the major leagues tomorrow. I just don't think he's that big of an improvement upon what the Cubs would have gotten from their Mike Fontenot, Jeff Baker platoon. Right, and so now what happens to to Mike Fontenot and Jeff Baker with, with Terrio shifting over? Um, I mean, I know that Terrio, he, Terrio seems like a player with some with some warts, but, you know, maybe against all odds he's survived uh, this long uh, and actually seemed to be serviceable, at least to, to my untrained eye. Um, Jeff Baker and Mike Fontenot, though, they both... They seem to have some value, especially in the platoon. Do they just evaporate, or are they just going to stick around? Uh, they'll stick around. I think both of them, Lupinella likes both of them, and as Dave probably remembers from his Seattle time, being on lose good graces is half the battle. Um, but I don't think they'll have a very significant role. It would be unfair to call up Sarlon Castro and not play him every day. So I think all you're looking at for Baker is maybe platooning in right field when Fukudome is, faces a lefty, and then for Fontenot, I don't really know. Probably a defensive replacement for Ramos Ramirez in the late innings is all he's looking at. Mm. And, you, you know, you said Sterling Castro isn't Corey Patterson. Do you have any reasonable comps for us, uh, you know, some guys we might compare him to? Well, statistically, I compared him on the site in the offseason to Gary Templeton, who was another shortstop prospect that got called up at 20, and, and he was never really quite as good as as people hoped he would be. But today I think I read a Yunel Escobar comp, maybe on Baseball Prospectus, and I thought I thought that was fitting. He sort of has that almost chubby-looking body, <laughs> but he but he moves well and, and he makes contact with everything. He's, he's going to be real good. He is going to be real good. Okay. Hey, Dave Cameron, uh, you know, Brian mentions here that he thinks this is one of these – sort of bizarre moves the Cubs are making to make themselves competitive, uh, you know, with, with the with the Cardinals. I mean, that seems to be the, the team that you need to beat in the NL Central. Is this a short-sighted approach? You know, in, are the Cardinals, you know, what what are their, where would you put their chances of winning that division, and uh, do the Cubs have any chance of catching them? Uh, well, I think the Cardinals, I mean, they were certainly the preseason favorites going in, and they've done nothing to look anything other than favorites and then uh, their lineup is beastly and with Colby Rasmus enjoying a breakout and then Brad Penny apparently turning into an ace under Dave Duncan's tutelage uh, I don't think there's any reason to think that the Cubs are going to run down the Cardinals unless you know Albert Pujols uh, dives in a fire or something um, oh my God. but I think like realistically the wild card in the National League might be open for grabs I mean we thought the Atlanta would make a run for it and they're struggling the Dodgers are off to a terrible start so some of these teams that we thought might end up buying for the the wild card spot if they didn't win their division are not off to strong starts and so realistically I'm not, I'm not sure the Cubs can contend with the Cardinals 
but there is that extra playoff spot available. So if Charlton Castro comes up at 320 and plays even defense at shortstop, I'm not saying he's going to do that. But if he does that, then he'll improve their chances of uh, winning winning the wild card. And you know, I don't think that's overly far fetched. Okay, so they could they could maybe shoot for the wild card. And that's not crazy. Do you think that maybe part of them winning the wild card will have to do with batting Giovanni Soto, aka one of their best hitters right now, uh, higher in the lineup than eighth? Yeah, I, I saw a few nights ago that he was hitting eighth, and I was like, oh, doesn't the guy have like a 990 OPS or something? Uh, but realistically, then I looked at the rest of the lineup, and I wasn't totally sure who you'd move down. I mean, you know, Ramos Ramirez and Derek Lee are maybe not hitting like you'd want them to be hitting, but they're still you know proven veteran guys and. Fukuda May and uh, Soriano are yeah, hitting really well. So I think the Cubs have, have some lineup depth to the point where you, you can't move Soto up too far. And he's, he's probably not quite as good as he's been hitting so far this year. And is there anyone else in the NL Central, you know, even within uh, sniffing distance of that wild card spot, let alone that first place spot? Well, I liked the Brewers coming into the year, but apparently I'm an idiot because they look horrible. What's that, number six to work? Yeah. No, 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 okay, no. sorry. That was number uh, ten. Number ten. Or number ten. Or <laughs> very good. Um, so we have here one prospect who's kind of on his way up, and of course, uh, for any uh, baseballing enthusiast, the uh, the the debut of a prospect is sort of an exciting time um, because you know we see the minor league numbers and we see essentially uh, hope. We see the embodiment of hope. Um, that's what's happening in Chicago right now. In Kansas City, which for a number of reasons maybe is the opposite of hope or presents the opposite of hope, we've seen a situation recently where Alex Gordon, who was once, I think, uh, number two on a whole bunch of uh, baseball prospect lists not too long ago, maybe three years ago now, has uh, been uh, optioned to AAA after uh, returning from a finger injury he suffered in the preseason, maybe with like uh, six games in between. Matt Clausen, as a Royals fan, you're sort of on the front lines of this situation. What's the, what is the latest Alex Gordon development, and what should the Royals do about it? Have they done the right thing? Uh, well, it depends on your perspective, I guess. Uh, I'm going to try and avoid making this into an anti-Dayton Morant, because it's uh, tempting, but everyone's heard that before. Uh, from various sources, and, and you know, those rants are justified. I'll try to be as objective as I can as a Royals fan, but the truth, the truth is the Royals don't seem to know what they're doing. <laughs> and I mean that both in the sense, I mean, they don't. I mean, that's an obvious. <laughs> but, but I mean, it's in two senses. They don't seem to know what's being literally, they have no clue, but also they don't really know what their plan is. Even though they talk, very publicly is that they have one. You know, I, here's, here's what's happened. Uh, Alex Gordon was this huge prospect. I mean, he was the number two, maybe number one prospect. And of course, in 2007, he was, he was disappointing. He, believe it or not, he did not become George Brett overnight. Um, and in 2008, he was also disappointing. I mean, relative to what the expectations were. I mean, next George Brett, only that silliness aside, he certainly wasn't uh, what Edwin Goria has become. Uh, uh, he certainly didn't hit like Ryan Braun at any standpoint, uh, at any point, who was drafted after him. And of course, he didn't even become uh, Ryan Zimmerman, who, of course, shouldn't say even became Ryan Zimmerman, Zimmerman become a great player, um, who was, if those Zimmerman and Braun were drafted after him. People often bring in Longoria, but of course, if they want to get bad at Longoria, they should be blaming that. They should be blaming it, and I say it sarcastically on uh, Luke Hoshaver, uh, who was number one pick uh, the year after Gordon was drafted. Anyway, the point being, 
season albums went down because he's disappointed and I heard a senior analyst uh, talk about how Gordon is on his last chance. Well, but if you think about this, I mean, <laughs> how many... Uh, Gordon was just, was just one relative expectation. Since 2007, though, he was an average player who hit poorly, but actually, uh, according to uh, DeWan Plus Minus, and uh, UVR was above average defensively third base, which was, uh, I mean, he wasn't outstanding, but he was good. And that, and from the scouting or scouting stuff I read in that year, that seemed to confirm it. He was about average. 2008, his defense was was below average, but he hit well. I mean, he, again, he didn't set the league on fire, but he had about a, a 345, 350 Woba. Uh, and so he's not average. And so, so 2009, he's like, I, so, 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 so we get to 2009, and you can't, you know, oh, how is he blowing it? So about a week in the 2009, he had a serious hip injury <laughs> and uh, was out for most of the year. Uh, came back, didn't hit well, looked out on defense, they sent him down, they brought him back up, and he hit well. So then, uh, spring training this year, he slides in head first in the second base, which is stupid. And correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure Alex Gordon is the only player who does that. Uh, breaks the finger, uh, misses those to spring training, comes up for 10 days, looks terrible on defense and, and offense, and so they send him back down again. And now, and it, which is problematic, and is most frustrating because they're talking about moving him to left field, maybe first base. So, uh, my point with all that is going to be the guy had two seasons that were average, maybe above average, depending on what you look at, uh, because he's also a good base runner. Uh, and then uh, one season where he basically got hurt the whole time. So, yeah, he's been disappointing, but uh, to call him a bust would be an exaggeration. And the idea that he's been given all these tons of chances and he just keeps blowing it, I think is also an exaggeration. Yes, well, Brian Smith, I'm curious here. Um uh, Clausen mentioned names like Longoria and Zimmerman, right, who have been two kind of bigger third-base prospects the last couple of years. Gordon, correct me if I'm wrong, was part of that conversation or has been on the same par. He was he was a really highly ranked prospect. Do people just blow it in terms of their ranking, or has this been a case of a player, a guy not developing based on his, his college numbers? It's hard to say. I mean, he was – I wouldn't say he was on the level of Ryan Zimmerman. He was well above it. Um, Ryan Zimmerman wasn't considered a future all-star. He was considered a everyday guy that that wouldn't blossom into a power hitter or anything like that. Evan Longoria had power questions as well. Everyone thought that Alex Gordon would hit, and I think there's a lot of questions still why he hasn't completely blossomed. I mean, like Matt said, he's done well, but he he certainly hasn't turned a corner, and he certainly hasn't been what people thought he'd be when he left Nebraska. Well, so I'm curious, you know, as to whether you've seen a, a thing like this. I mean, you've, you've obviously, you know, you've looked at a number of prospects. Have you seen something like this where, not necessarily because of injury, I mean, injuries really only seem to have um, screwed up his playing time, but have you seen a guy who seemed like such a sure thing uh, fall from great? I mean, is this a Delman Young situation? or But, but it strikes me that Delman Young never had the, the plate discipline, whereas Gordon was a little bit more polished. Now, where do you put him in terms of just, like, prospect failure? Well, I think he's a good le- lesson as far as when we look at college numbers. Like, for example, the number one pick in next year's draft is a guy named Anthony Rendon, and his on-base percentage right now, his sophomore year, is about 600. And we look at that and we assume he has great patience. But at the end of the day, it's college pitchers are completely scared to throw to these guys like Anthony Rendon and like they were of Alex Gordon, so scouts don't really get the opportunity to see pitchers attack them 
on an everyday basis like they would like to. So we go by the statistics, and his statistics in college were otherworldly. But in reality, it was because there weren't an, enough good hitters in that Nebraska lineup to challenge pitchers, so they just didn't throw him pitches that he could hit, that he could uh, swing at. So where, so where Alex Gordon stands now, what are, what's a comp you'd have for him? A guy we could look at either just playing now or, or you know, has played baseball recently. I mean, what's Alex Gordon's? I wouldn't say best case scenario, but most likely scenario. Well, I, hopefully his scenario is getting out of Kansas City and. Um, I couldn't really give you a name off the top of my head, but I, I do think he could still be a good player somewhere. I think there's a lot of hoops still to jump through and a lot of development still to be done, but I wouldn't I wouldn't put it past him to have a couple good seasons in his uh, late 20s and early 30s. Will he be better than Mark Tehan? Yes, I think he I think he can be better than Mark Tehan today. <laughs> okay, uh, Cameron. Uh, we move from uh, Alex Gordon and considerations of the Kansas City Royals to a team that's at the top of the charts right now, the, the uh, Tampa Bay Rays. You wrote an article about them earlier this week. I want you to talk about that article and exactly where the Rays are now relative to the league and relative to maybe where we thought they might have been. You also suggest they're getting lucky. I'd like you to address that. But first, before you get into that conversation, if Alex Gordon had come up, had been drafted by and had come up with the Rays – which is generally a team that we that we recognize as having good player development. Um, how, how would things have been different for Alex Gordon? What would have happened to Alex Gordon? Anything different, or or you know, the, or it would have been the same? Um, I, I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, it really depends on how much blame we lay on Gordon not developing, or maybe just not inherently having the skills that we maybe thought he did coming out of college versus how he was handled by the Royals. Uh, I do think we've seen with Tampa Bay that they are maybe a little more willing to make decisive decisions, whereas Kansas City experiments with one thing and then, you know, pulls the plug on that a month in. Where, you know, the Rays, you know, they decided, let's give Dillman Young a shot, and then they, they said we didn't like what we saw, they shipped him off to Minnesota and got someone else they liked a little more. Where maybe if Gordon would have come up through Tampa Bay, he would have gotten one sustained chance to play, and then Tampa Bay would have decided, hey, you know, this guy's not that good, let's trade him while he's still got some uh, first-round pick hype on him and uh, turn him into, you know, someone else who they would have liked a little bit better. Okay, so let's so let's talk about so that's a nice answer. Let's talk about the uh, Tampa Bay on the field though. Right now, uh, they are winning a lot of games, and it seems like they're getting lucky in some ways, but they're actually legitimately good. How good are they? They're really good. Um, I, I think that's kind of the paradox. Is this one of those things? Is when a team is what twenty-two and seven, or kind of lose their record now? Uh, how how good are they? Uh, or how much have they just gotten, you know, good fortune? It's a little bit of both. I and mean, this is, you know, everyone coming into the season, we thought they were one of the best teams in baseball, but I don't think anyone thinks they're going to set the all-time win record, especially not in that division. Um, and, you know, I mean, one of the things I pointed out is that their team Loba is just a little bit above average. Like, they're not hitting uh, the tar out of the baseball, but when they get guys on base, they're getting really timely hits. And while announcers love to talk about timely hitting being something that can carry you for long periods of time, it just can't. You you can't sustain a 340 batting average with men in scoring position when you hit 220 and the base is empty. And uh, realistically, the Rays' offense isn't as good as it's looked so far this year. They're not the best offense in baseball. It's not a bad offense, but it's, it's not as good as it's looked thanks to their clutch hitting. And so I think we'll see somewhat of a pullback where uh, you know their run scoring will go down, and um, I don't I mean their their run prevention will go up a little bit too because they're not going to finish the year with a 500 runs allowed. But you know they're a very good team, but there's reasons to believe they're not this good. Right now, we talked about them on the pod a couple weeks ago when you were out with kidney stones, 
and uh, we had we had uh, invoked the uh, wins in the bank uh, article that you had written, I guess uh, last year sometime, and you know which yeah. has sort of been invoked uh, off and on since then. The Red Sox are, of course, a team that uh, a lot of probably Fangraphs readers will have some interest in. It's a very interested fan base. The Rays have those wins in the bank, though. You know, I mean, if you were to take the teams with their true talent right now and project them for the end of the season, do you have the Rays ahead of the Red Sox, and by how many games? Yeah, I mean, the Rays have clearly closed the gap. I mean, I think most projection systems had Boston a game or two ahead of Tampa, uh, and maybe a couple games behind the Yankees, but those three teams were pretty well clumped together with Tampa just slightly pulling up the the rear. But now Tampa's you know shot past Boston. I mean, you know, I think they have a six or seven game lead at this point. Um, you, the Red Sox true talent gap is not large enough to make up six or seven games over the next five months. And so you know, even if you didn't change your opinion at all based on what we saw in April and with Cameron on the DL and Ellsbury on the DL and uh, reasons to believe the Red Sox might not play as well as we would have thought they would have going into the year, uh, Tampa's still clearly coming out on top just because of how well they've played to start the year. So at this point, the Red Sox are going to have to get lucky to make the playoffs because uh, we wouldn't, certainly wouldn't expect them to based on what we've seen so far. Okay, so luck will have to be part of it. Uh, and then finally, uh, th- was, this has been a lot of fun so far. Finally, one thing I do want to mention, though, is that uh, on the site... Uh, Let's see, this is just last night, uh, Thursday night. Uh, we're recording on a Friday. Um, Dave Appleman, in his, uh, in his way, um, introduced a couple new stats to the website. One is called Shutdowns, and one is called Meltdowns. And this is in response to a conversation that has taken a couple different forms. And I think, you know, I just want to kind of cover it and... In case uh, you know any of the our readers slash listeners had any confusion about it, maybe we could touch on it briefly. Um, shutdowns and meltdowns. Now, Clausen, I think you actually have uh, you've tracked this back to its earlier date. I think it starts with Jeff Zimmerman, who contributes to Fairgrass and also to Royals Review. What was his? Uh, where did this come from originally? Well, I think it just came. I don't know if his original post on this was at Royals Review or Beyond the Box Score, but it was originally just his frustration, which. I think a lot of people in the favorite, a lot of people within and without the favorite metric community, whatever that is, uh, have with the traditional categories like saves, blown saves, and holds. Uh, just that they don't express anything. I mean, that coming in with a three-run lead and getting a save for it, it just doesn't have a lot of a lot of a lot of a lot of pitchers can do that to get away or to get manage only you know we can manage to give up less than three runs with. Uh, with, with giving three outs, and that's just not that expressive of what uh, what, what what that reliever contributes. So, what kind of thing can we get that's on sort of a safe scale? It's like they have one of these uh, that that would uh, ex- would have be something more meaningful about the player contribution to uh, uh, the team's win, or the, at least what's happened from when the player came in to when uh, he left the game. If that's so. Then I think it developed the book blog. He was sort of a challenge out there. He got taken up the book blog, and that's where this uh, conception-based WPA came out of. Right, yeah. And uh, Cameron, can you explain uh, a little bit exactly how a, a shutdown and a meltdown, how those are calculated? Well, it's essentially just taking a look at like .06 of WPA, 
if you if you add that to your team, then uh, that's a shutdown. If you subtract that from your team, that's a meltdown. Uh, I think Appleman honestly did this just because we needed a way to track how terrible Frank Francisco has been. Um, but uh, no, I think uh, you know it's essentially just a way to look at you know which relievers are uh, adding you know six percent win probability to their team's chances. It's not overly complicated. Okay, so you say uh, it's based, Cameron, on uh, .06 WPA. How was that number settled upon? I mean, to the uh, to the uninformed onlooker, aka your pod host, Carson Sestouli, it seems a bit random. But I assume uh, if Tango Tiger is behind it, it's not. What's the uh, What's the reasoning there? You know, the idea is that you wanted to create a, a metric that scaled to something like what we've generally seen with saves and holds, so where you were like, if you're going to have a uh, you know, a good reliever gets 50 shutdowns in a, a year it's because he has 50 saves in a year. You know, it's along the same scale. Kind of like we scale SIP to match ERA so that people can look at it and say, oh, this is, you know, three is good and six is horrible. We wanted the scale shutdowns and meltdowns kind of along the same lines of what people are already accustomed to, and that saves and holds. Right, so a number that they could uh, sort of... Or why Wobo works, too, right? Because we know what our good obvious percentage is. Um, this is just a little bit more precise. Right. Well, we do. I'm not sure all teams do, but we do. Okay, right. okay, right. Well, speaking of teams and you, Clausen, I'm looking right now at the uh, Meltdown and Shutdown leaderboards by team, and I see that the team with a vast lead in the Meltdown category is your Kansas City Royals. Um, briefly, would you tell me why that's the case? Um, and I, I think that's just evidence that the stat is flawed, and we should <laughs> correct it, because everyone knows, as uh, you know, people told us to date more and create a bit and bullpens, to get bullpens together. All right, well, 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 I mean, they are seven uh, meltdowns worse than the next team. That's the Diamondbacks uh, and a couple other teams. Um, wh- what's going on? I mean, and are they in the process of fixing it? No. They just traded. I mean, Carlos Rosa would know. Like, no, they're not in the process of fixing it. Unless you count trading their one, maybe a relief prospect away for, uh, I don't know, a guy who might be like uh, the combination of the best features of Vinny Bet and Court and Tony Pena Jr., that's unfair to Ray Navarro, but uh, it's hard to be. I mean, not that Carlos Rosa was anything great. No, I mean they're they're running guys. I mean they got rid. They fit, they figured out after putting him in about four games in a row. Luis Mendoza is horrible. He's not so a major league like, progress. Yeah. Yeah, but then the guy, you know, Josh Ruth, they cut uh, the ancient Juan Cruz. He just looks old. I mean, you know, that signing was actually one of their less dumb ones. Uh, Kyle Farnsworth is still prominently featured. Uh, yeah, I go on. No, you don't. But um, I would like to ask Brian Smith. We see Brian. He said that Clausen um, said that that's basically it for relief prospects. Do they have anyone? Do they have anyone in their system off the top of your head that could come in and provide any sort of reasonable innings? No, I think the sabermetric community hopes Disco Hayes can be that guy, but I, I don't <laughs> think in I don't think in reality that that's. Uh, going to happen. It's it's pretty bleak. They they're okay in in starting pitching prospects. I think we'll see Mike Montgomery this year and and Aaron Crow's better than he's pitched early in the season, but as far as uh viable relievers go, I don't I don't really see a lot. Well, why not just call up Disco Hayes though? You know, you're not doing very well. You have the worst bullpen in the uh in the majors. Why not give him a try? Yeah, sure. Yeah, why not? That's that, that's what we can say about Carlos Rosa for 2 years. Uh the, the team uh you know why not? Why not 
why why not do a lot of things? I mean, Tila Tyrion probably isn't uh, probably not probably butchered that, but probably isn't a, a great hitter. But why not? Why not play? Why not find out what he's got? Why not give Alex Gordon a year to play third base and find out what the problem he can play third and if he can hit? You know, why waste time with Jose Guillen? Why keep putting Kyle Farnsworth in the game? These are all outstanding questions, and we all know what the answer is. We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. Dave Cameron, do you have any insight into the mind of uh, Dayton Moore, Trey Hillman, and, well, uh, and company? Well, you know, I think really, I mean, we created the stats called meltdowns, and really, I mean, we, I think the fans must be getting counted or something, because Matt, between Matt Clawson and Randy Javerly and, you know, I think with uh, Joe Pavnansky, there's like <laughs> 475 meltdowns per year per Royal fan, so uh, I think really meltdowns should track Royal fans, not Royal pitchers. Yeah, they probably are. Well, but how about before... Before we experience a meltdown here on the pod, uh, we sew it up and uh, and put it in the can, which is uh, which is what I like to call mixing metaphors. Um, very good. Uh, but before we do that, let's say goodbye to everyone. So first to Matt Clausen from his study carol uh, in Toronto. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thank you. Okay, from uh, Brian Smith in his uh, on his couch in Chicago. I uh, I wish you the best of nights, Brian, and uh, don't party too hard. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Yeah, you're welcome. And then finally, Dave Cameron, congratulations. And I'm spelling that with a D. I do wish you. Are you going to wear a cap and gown, Cameron? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing the whole cap and gown thing. My parents are flying out. It's uh, you know, kind of a big deal in my family. I guess. Can we uh, can we get a video or a, a photo of you up on the uh, up on the blog in your cap and gown? Uh, you'll have to talk to Apple about that. I'm not I'm not sure if we own the rights to those kind of photos. Right. Oh, good point. Are, are you? Is Mike Sweeney flying out to see you Uh He might throw some tomatoes at me, but then he would hug me afterwards. Probably. Yes, he would. He would definitely hug you. Uh, once again, this has been, uh, well, I have been, and will continue to be, Carson Sestouli, and this has been another white-hot episode of Fangraphs Audio. Mm-hmm.